This episode of Mares in Black is sponsored by Gail Berg and the Model Horse Gallery, serving the hobby for 25 years. That's modelhorse.gallery.com. The Mares in Black want you to know that we think black lives matter. People of color matter. LGBTIQA plus lives matter. People with disabilities matter. We think all populations that have been systemically oppressed matter. We hear you. We see you. We know we benefit from these systems and we want to be better allies. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to Mares in Black. This is episode 68 to the episode for Mid-March. This is the podcast for hobbyists by hobbyists. And I am Jackie. I am here with my lovely and beautiful and very talented co-host, Heather. Thanks. Hi. It's true. It's true. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, baby. What's up? I am, I am battling a cat that keeps trying to eat my feet while we I know. do this. There was blood drawn earlier. I was afraid. He's a little booger. Yeah, well, that's what you got. He's a booger. Um, he's in the booger formative years. Yeah. So, so this is a special edition of Mares in Black. There's like... Not a lot of news, first off. And we have been doing a series of artist spotlight interviews, but uh, we got to talk with one of both of our heroes of our formative model horse years, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth Boris of Amarna Productions. Um, and while uh, she classifies her a second wave hobbyist, she uh, started the hobby, wouldn't she say 72? Yeah, certainly early 70s. So she is a treasure trove of information. Oh, yeah. So this is a really great interview. So we decided to take this week and um, and have everybody listen in to our our talk with with Liz, because it's it's a lot of fun and it's super informative. Mm hmm. So you history nerds, this is for you. Yeah, history nerds. All right, let's listen (laughs) in. Greetings, everybody. I am Jackie. I'm here for Mares in Black. I am joined today with my lovely co-host, Heather. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down to talk to Liz Boris. Who is my hero. Mine too. Everybody talks about Sarah. Sarah was one of my heroes too, but Liz Boris was, when I got into the hobby, I worshipped Liz Boris. So it is an honor to have you, Liz. I, I, I think I've told you this story, Liz. Um, but maybe I haven't. <laughs> but in 1992, I went to my first MAR, uh-huh. and you were there, and I was like maybe 20. I don't know. Um, and I saw I saw you and Judy, and you had your Arabian stallion out, and I was like so freaking starstruck, and way too chicken to say anything. <laughs> yeah. And I spent like the whole day going, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" and just did nothing. <laughs> She was too embarrassed to come. I was too scared to say anything. (laughs) Uh, So let's tell us about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? And how, how, when, how did you start collecting model horses? Okay. I'll see. I was born in uh, Kingston, New York, 1961. And we moved to Philadelphia when I was three, Philadelphia area, a little town called Narberth, which is on the main line. And, uh, started collecting probably when I was about eight years old I got my first horse my dad gave me uh 
Beswick Welsh Pony because I adore Welsh ponies. I'd always go into the Devon Horse Show to see Mrs. DuPont's Lister Hall Farms ponies. And they were like just the absolute best to me. So we got me this beautiful little dapple gray Welsh pony. And that's when I realized I was becoming a real collector because I went to the jewelry store in Ardmore and they had a Beswick catalog. And they didn't have many other Beswicks there, but they had all the numbers of the ones they made. And I'd write down which ones I wanted. When my dad would go to Montreal for a, uh, you know, medical convention, you know, because he was always going for like training and stuff. Uh, he was an ophthalmologist. And I'd give him the numbers of the ones I wanted. And he'd go to the gift shop in the hotel and bring me back another one. Because in Canada, they had many more Beswicks than they did in America, which I'd seen that when we went on vacations up there. So, uh, so you I, didn't even start with Briars. You started with yeah, Beswick. I started with Chinas. And nice. my mom gave me like a little corner of the China cabinet to keep my, my China horses in. And I always just loved, you know, staring at them and, and admiring them. And, uh, you know, that was, that was cool because, you know, she collected like Royal Dalton figurines and stuff. So I was a China head early on, but then I, I did, I did buy a lot of briars. There were like a couple local stores. Um, then the town where my school was Bryn Mawr, there was this wonderful old toy store called the Jolly Roger. And they had a lot of older briars that had been there for ages. And I remember looking at that blue running mare and thinking, God, they really screwed up the color on that smoke. <laughs> <laughs> And I bought like greens <laughs> and stuff there. And then unfortunately the whole place burned down. Oh no. Oh no. With, with a, with a freaking Wedgwood running mirror in it. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess nobody else wanted it either. Right. <laughs> Cause God knows how long it had been sitting on that shelf. <sighs> but uh, so, you know, I did, I did build up a collection of briars too in Heartlands also and whatever I could find. But um, how I found the hobby was I, of course I would buy every single horse magazine there was, and in Western Horsemen there was a little ad for a place called Mini Tack for Briar Horse Tack. So I sent away, you know, to get a copy of their catalog, and their catalog had a little bitty blurb about the Model Horse Showers Journal with Linda Walters' address in it. So of course I wrote to her and started subscribing, and I got my first issue of the Model Horse Showers Journal in late 1972 and started taking pictures. Wow! Of the photo show. Wow! And I remember. My my little uh, for first show I entered was off of Welsh Ponies, run by Lucy Clapp, who was later Lucy Zay. And oh. <laughs> I remember my yeah, my bay carrying Welsh Pony and my little Beswick did well, and I got a reserve champ. And and the old photo shows people would like actually make really nice little ribbons and stuff, and they'd send you the results, and you know you you get a bag full of ribbons you know, with what your horses came. And I was just addicted to that, so you know I was I was all in. <laughs> and then dad got tired of me borrowing his camera. So he bought me a 35 millimeter Yashica so I could get good pictures. So, you know, when you, if you had a 35 millimeter camera, then you were ahead of the curve. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember got me really into photography. Yeah. So. yeah. Cause I remember like a little kid mid seventies trying to take pictures of my horses with a 110 with a flash. And it was just a disaster. Well, I, like, I how do people get such good pictures? Oh my gosh. Like, I right. judged there was a photo that will stand out forever in my in my memory. It was a 126 format, the, the square format. Oh gosh. Right. Yeah. It was a Western Prancer with a Western tack, you know, the Briar Western tack on the hood of a truck being ridden by Mr. Spock. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like ingrained in my memory forever. 
But even then, I knew that that was a couple shades past what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> One thing hilarious: like, rubber band under the briar saddle, so it looks like it has a girth. Because if it doesn't have a girth, it doesn't fly. <laughs> oh my gosh! So what did you find live showing? Okay, the, the first live show I went to was the next summer in uh, Heightstown, New Jersey, held by Janet Hergenhan, who later went on to have the Big and Little Club for Drafters and Ponies. Oh, yeah. And she had like an annual show in her backyard. And uh, my dad drove me, and it was probably about 60 miles from there to New Jersey. And I remember we found a nice New Jersey diner for breakfast. Then we went to the show. And my dad got along very well with Janet's dad. So he always looked forward to going there and hanging out with him. So that was cool. And uh, that, that was, I did very, very well. I got grand champion of the show with my, my really expensive custom, Razzle Dazzle, who is a Sherry Cook McDonald stretch morgan painted to a black and white pinto with a hair mane and tail for a cocker spaniels and he had cost <laughs> me whopping 60 dollars which was like oh thousands back then yeah oh, that was a lot and i also had a dirksen alga parade set that had set me back about 25 bucks and you know whoa you, that was that was like the best in model pack back then uh, i'll have to try to wow. find a picture of one but it's interesting to me that there was even tack and, and stuff like that back then. Like I, I would, I, if you hadn't told me that I would have thought tack came later. Well, there, there was, okay. Mo, most of the classes were halter, but there was about three or four performance classes. You basically have like English Western costume. And if they were really adventurous, they'd have harness. I remember <laughs> one of my yep. first harnesses, I made it out of shoelaces and, and I entered it in a photo show and somebody was like, wow, where'd you get a harness? Do you want to sell it? And I'm like, I'm like, it, the other side of side of it didn't even exist because it was all like taped to the other side of the horse. <laughs> the magic of photo showing, man. Yeah. <laughs> so what? So so you went to your first show. What what happened after that? Like like did you start networking? What you got? What got you into doing uh, being an artist? Well, um, just you know, being tired of the original finishes and painting over my old herd there you know i remember the I, I was very ambitious the first one i tried to paint was a dappled gray proud arab stallion and somewhere i think in storage i have a picture of him and you know i had fake fur hair mane and tail and it was scary <laughs> <laughs> you know but but i just kept trying you know that that point i was just using you know acrylics and doing it all by hand in the 70s and then later in the 1970s um I went to visit Cheryl Abelson. Uh, she was living in uh, Rockway Beach, New, Jer uh, New York, because I was going to college at Barnard. And so I'd go visit her on the weekends. And she did a lot of remaking. And she showed me how she'd cut them apart, use the two-part yellow and blue ribbon to, you know, make the green stuff to hold them together. And, you know, started, I started doing some serious remaking then. So what, what was the hobby like back then? Like, can you describe it in terms of comparative to today? Like, like, would anybody really recognize it? Or is it pretty much the same thing, but on a smaller scale with less people? Um, similar, yeah, on a smaller scale, it, it, was, it was a lot slower because, of course, everything was through the mail. Like, if you wanted to buy a horse, you'd, see, you'd be getting a sales list with a written description and You'd send a self-addressed stamped envelope, a SACE, to the person and say, can I see a picture of it? So it could transaction could take a couple of weeks. 
you definitely wanted, you could probably work up the nerve to call them, but you know, I, I don't <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, so it took, everything took a while. There was a lot more patience in the hobby. Although oh, yeah. I remember my first order for a repaint, I think it was charging like $8 to paint a traditional horse. A week later, I already got a, per- a letter from the person saying, is he done yet? And it was like, whoa. But, and he actually was like halfway done because I'd like gotten right on it. <laughs> so <laughs> there was a little bit back then too. But, you know, it, it was smaller, but, you know, people were pretty spread out. But, you know, everybody, everybody wrote a lot of, there were a lot of pen pals. People entered a lot of photo shows. There were a lot of little clubs like split down by breeds and, you know, sometimes by, by geographic area. Um, I know like even back then there was like a Hagen Renneker club um, in the early seventies. I know somebody had district of Columbia Hagen Renneker club. I wish I could figure out who that was now that I lived near there. But, <laughs> you know, and then, and then of course, um, a little later, Marnie started holding the model horse congresses. Um, she started those, I think the early seventies and they grew. And the first one I went to was in 1977 and it was in like a hotel in Barrington, Illinois. And I, I don't even know how my parents let me go at 16, just take a train with a bunch of friends, but you know, parents weren't as helicopterish then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who did you go with? Who did you travel with? I went with Jeanette Pook and I think a couple other people from North Jersey, because there was a, a big live show circuit in North Jersey at the time. You know, you know like Pat Saplicki had a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. Jeanette Pook had some shows, you know, um, up, in the, up in that area. And uh, I, um, I, I know Greg Mongo came with us on one of the trips, but I don't remember if it was the first one. But I know I definitely went with Jeanette Pook the first year. And, you know, we, we bought like boxes of horses. We dragged on the Amtrak and then we had to drag them onto the local train and took that out to, you know, Barrington and then took a cab to the hotel. But we made it and we had a great time. And uh, that's my, my big horse at the, show, horse at the time was soccer. And he was a uh, Francis Eustace Arabian. And yeah, I remember you, ho- you wow. hosted him a couple of days ago, he which was, was my awesome. 16 present from my, my parents. He was from, um, I had seen Eustace's artwork in an art gallery about two doors down from the lamented Jolly Roger toy store. And, you know, <laughs> it was a little, you know, front window full of these amazing horse sculptures. And I was like, ah, and uh, they, you know, they let it me do a custom order. So I sent some pictures of the real horse soccer and they sent them to, uh, you know, Francis Eustace. And then he mailed them the horse when it was finished. Wow. And I had gotten permission from soccer's owner to have a model done. I'm sure this guy had no idea what I was talking about, but he <laughs> my permission to use the name. And, you know, so he was, he was official. And, uh, cause I'd seen soccer at a, a real Arabian show and just completely fell in love with him. And, uh, so soccer won the, uh, grand championship at the model horse Congress. Now I'll tell you, here's the funny thing. They had me show him as an original finish because they were everything split by that point to original finish and repaint remake. And since it was the first paint job on the model, they considered it the original finish. Oh, you wow. Know? So that's, that's how they yeah. it up back then. You know, weird technical. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that would yeah. definitely be like, you know, we would consider that an artist resin now. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I think they're probably were the, were the first artist resins. Yeah. And then, you know, after 
Marnie saw soccer. I mean, Marnie went bananas and bought zillions of the Eustace horses. She had a lot of famous ones, like her picture on Tilly's Dawn. Mm-hmm. And she had a big collection of them. And uh, Jeanette got a, a quarter horse that was very well known. And you know, kind of went off from there. But I, I think that was the real precursor to their artist resins. Cool. And then uh, next year I went back and soccer was the only horse to ever win grand championship at the Model Horse Congress twice. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he was also like a huge photo show, you know, where he won like 200 grand championships and photo shows. I showed him in everything. I mean, you know, his head's up in the air. He's trotting around. Well, you know, that went for Diamond Cavalier too for Kathy Maestas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he, he posed well under any tack. So I had pictures of him in every performance event. They had a class for. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Liz, do you, I know you went to you went to school for t- photography, correct? Yeah, that was your I, major. I, well, first I went I went to Barnard for a year and studied art history, but I'd rather be doing art. So I transferred to the Tyler School of Art in Philadelphia, which is is part of Temple University and is on their campus now. But at the time, they had their own. Uh, campus at Elkins Park, and it was wonderful. It was a tiny little art school, about 400 people, you know, including the the graduate students and very small classes. And I really liked it there. And I took a lot of a lot of fine arts courses, a lot of painting and design and and drawing and stuff because they really, you know, they they weren't into the modern art stuff. They were into like the foundations, which I really appreciated. You know. Yeah, we've heard that from some of the other artists that we've we've talked to that have gone to art school at how they were pushed into areas that they weren't necessarily passionate about, like abstractism and mm-hmm. and other kind of trendy things, rather than you know wanting to do realism and foundational work. You know, so it's it, it's interesting that that school catered to that. I, th- I think Philadelphia at the time they had about four or five art schools. I don't think they're. A couple of them are still in existence now, but um, they always had a real trend towards old-fashioned, you know, representational art and realism because it started with the uh, Philadelphia Art Institute that was founded by um, oh god, what's his name, Thomas Peel, I think, in the, in the 1800s. I mean, Eakins, Thomas Eakins founded it, and um, so there was this history in Philadelphia of, of traditional style art that I think was, was really good because the abstract stuff was not as popular as, as you would believe at that point, thank God, because I thought like <laughs> all the good artists was, were dead and like the stuff that was like in you know, museums as new art was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely loathe the abstract expressionism, ah, abstract expressionists with every ounce of my heart. <laughs> I think it's definitely um, the art world is, uh, moved more by by celebrity and networking than it is the actual work itself these days. It's a it's like most things. It's all become a game of of who you know and yeah. At, at and the they're point. and they're kingmakers. So it, I you know I don't know how much it is about actual skill and expression anymore. You know, I'd say at the very top, it's all who you know and what galleries are promoting people. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard the latest thing about buying into like digital art that can only be unlocked with a key. And people yeah. And if, I just read about that today, NFTs. And I'm just like, I, what? <laughs> but on a, on a more moderate level, there is a real trend back towards representational art and either, you know, portraiture or even like magic realism. And, mm-hmm. you know, even the pop surrealism is representational. Mm-hmm. And a lot, there's a lot of galleries now catering to that because I think they find 
that a lot of the younger people, they're not interested in abstract art. No. And, and the other thing I have said is that art is really trending much back more to craft and handmade stuff, yeah. whereas everything used to, you know, Photoshop took over digital art for a long time. People are actually now going back to the printing press, going back to screen printing, doing things by hand because, you know, they're starting to lose uh, tactile connection with art. And I think that's also very important and helps our hobby ultimately. Yeah. There's a huge like, print of screen printing. I, I collect a lot mm -hmm. of alternative movie posters that are all screen printed. And these people do not want it if it's a lithograph or mass produced. No. Screen mm -hmm. print. And then there's some artists like James Jean, they're turning uh, printing into a real art in itself because he's he, these print, prints he does, they have all kinds of like holographic tape and foil and embossing. Mm -hmm. And it, it becomes as interesting as a painting. It's not just a flat image. Yeah, yeah. So, so what inspired you to start painting horses? I know you talked about just getting sick of VOFs, yeah. right? But whose, whose work did you see back then that you were like in love with? And I can do that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push myself to be, be an artist as well. Well, the, the first ones I'd seen that really impressed me were like Sherry Cook and Joe Maness. And I collected a lot of their pieces. That would be in the early 70s. And then towards the mid-70s, I started seeing pieces by Nancy Stroger, and mm -hmm. she completely blew my mind. I mean, yeah. her, her horses are still among the most beautiful I think ever done. She she did such incredible facial expression that, you know, there's only a handful of people that can can achieve that. You know, maybe like Sarah Mink and Pam Hutton mm -hmm. can do, do tapes as beautiful as hers, and that's about it. Yeah, her pieces are still competitive, oh, too, yeah. which, yeah. which blows me away. I, I have a number of her pieces. In fact, I just bought a couple of her paintings that I found. Oh, wow. Oh, did flat art, but very, very little of it seems to ever, ever, you know, pop up. These are the only two are like large paintings, you know, yay big or so that I've ever seen. Mm. But uh, she really was my biggest influence ever. And then also a little later, um, towards the end of the 70s, I was corresponding with a couple of British collectors and I was showing some of their horses for them in photo shows in the U.S. And that was the first time I saw Pamela Dubulay's Ride Owls. Uh, and those oh. were the first airbrushed models I'd ever seen. And when I saw her airbrushed dappled graves, I was just like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Right. I didn't get a chance to use an airbrush till a few years later. Um, it was about 1984. Susan Hurst bought one. She lived really near me, uh, near my parents' house. And so she let me try it out. And I'm like, oh, I can put dapples on stable mates. Oh, these are pretty. And the next day I ran <laughs> And Susan was very smart. She wouldn't let me buy the airbrush until I could take hers apart and reassemble it multiple times. And I thought, <laughs> smart. Ever for that. Like, that like buying best. a rifle. You can't that have like this till so you can put it together. All time. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're airbrushing, half your time is spent fighting with the airbrush and <laughs> taking it apart. They never tell you that. They never tell you that half your time with an airbrush is fighting your airbrush. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like a, a humid day. Forget it. Take the day off. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, you're... Go ahead. Okay. So it was about 84 or so was when I started airbrushing. And I really liked, you know, the, the effects I could get with that much better because I couldn't blend so well with the acrylic and right. oil painting the problem is a I couldn't get it thin enough to really be flat where I didn't see any brush strokes and then also drying time having a place where nobody's going to touch something for a few mm -hmm. days you know yeah. possible I always I've always been lo low on any kind of space 
yeah. place to put things. And you have cats. Yeah, and I have <laughs> cats. <laughs> <laughs> so going, going back to the airbrush stuff, like when I started really paying attention to the hobby, you were, you were like super tippy top at the top of your game. The, you were famous for your star dapple grays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were one of the leaders in the Revit, Re, resin revolution. Um, you and Judy Renee Pope were collaborating. Um, can you talk about that whole period? Like, like when, you know, you were super, super, super Zenithing and like, the early like you, yeah, you inspired Jackie and I, you were our hero. So. Well, Judy and I like collaborated on a lot of stuff. She, she did a lot of the sculpting on a lot of pieces and then I did a lot of the painting because I painted a lot faster than she did. She also painted a lot of her own horses that, you know, she'd sell on her own. But we'd go to a lot of live shows and do a lot of horses to sell to basically get grocery money and stuff because we didn't have a whole lot then. And I mean, one thing that was really popular, every time we went to a live show, we'd take about 20 stable mate bodies because I used to trade with Marnie and she'd send me like box loads of briars. So I had like a lifetime supply of repainting bodies. And I'd take, we'd take about 20 of these little stable mates and remake them and paint them. And, you know, Judy would do the sculpting. I'd paint them. Paula would do little details like ribbons on the drafters and the saddle breads and stuff. And then we price them for about 25, 30 bucks each. And we called them the horse nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and people would like mob us for those. <laughs> There are a couple of people always would take Paul inside and say, which one's your favorite to get like, you know, advice on which one to buy. And, <laughs> and you know, a couple of those little $25 horses ended up being Nan Champion Customs years later. Right. Say, I think I might have one. <laughs> you probably do. I think Canfield <laughs> has a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So talk, talk about the first resin release. Like, you, like it, it was the Arabian Stallion, correct? Yeah, he was he was like a rework of an older remake I'd done of a Pratt Arab Stallion. It was originally named Demarnell Nizer in the, in the eighties, and Judy like did a, a lot of rework and resculpting over him because she's a much better sculptor than I ever was. So he was a total collaboration, and uh, we had we had some problems. And we first got cast from this guy who did these awful castings, and poor Paula would like do all of the prep work and sanding and. They were a mess. You're talking about Paulo O'Keefe, right? Yeah, Paulo O'Keefe over there, over there waving. <laughs> this guy eventually, his name was Jim something. He eventually like just disappeared with my original and oh, I didn't know I paid that. him for a lot more castings. So I, I think we, we went to Randy Buckler and got him to like, re, we, re, you know, put redetailed one of the, the casts and got him to re, you know, do more castings. And uh, no, actually, it was, it was a Randy Buckler, might have been Daybar, Daybar. I was going to say, was it Daybar? Yeah, it was probably Daybar. And yeah, it was Daybar at that point. And, um, you know, he did the rest of the run after this guy had screwed me over. He also did that to a couple other people, including Karen Gearhart. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's hard, what happened with Heart of Darkness, too. Yeah, same, yeah. same person. Oh, man. Yeah. That's terrible. Just I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. He just like suddenly disappeared off the face of the earth. I don't know. Maybe he got stabbed or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> stabbed by a wrong hobbyist. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So the original Nizzer is somewhere out there. Who knows? <laughs> mm. So, I mean, but it was a big hit, right? You sold out almost immediately as far as you could at that time. They, it, like, it, it was gone. A couple of years, but um, they sold very steadily. They, they, you know, 
paid for a lot of my other hobbies at the time. <laughs> we used to do a lot of road trips to uh, band chasing is right. is familiar with. <laughs> Back to there are two bands I've seen over a hundred times each. I'm sure you can, you know, I've only got one. I've seen a hundred times, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm so I get it. You know the feeling. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but uh, Tuesday must be Pittsburgh. <laughs> so, so going back to Judy, how did you meet Judy? This is this is kind of a long story. It's funny though. The first time I ever went to a comic book convention was in like, I don't know, about seventy six or so in New York City, and um, I met this guy Ken Gale, who was like you know big comics fan, well you know big name fan. He actually wrote comics later, and he's like, you got to meet these people. I know Judy. Pope and, and Paula O'Keefe, you know, I think you'd get along really well with them. And at that time they were doing a Rocky horror fanzine and he gave me their, their address. And I wrote to them and got a copy of the fanzine. And then I didn't, re- I, I ended up buying some of Judy's work at a convention a few years later. You know, she did a great painting of a vampire scaling up the edge of a building that I thought I loved. And, uh, then they popped up again in the early 80s. They were living in Boulder, Colorado, and joined the model horse community. And as soon as I saw the name, I'm like, hey, I know them. And we started, um, you know, writing each other back and forth a lot. And they were stranded and didn't have access to, like, cool new music. So I'd send them all, like, the British music papers and tapes of stuff like the Smiths and whatnot. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we got to be really good friends. And then in uh, 87, I moved down to... Maryland from outside of Philadelphia and because a bunch of friends of mine had a group house and they all had jobs with the federal government they're like hey if you can pass the civil service test and get a good score you can get a job down here real easy and you know at that point I was making like five dollars an hour working in a toy store with no insurance and this seemed like a really good opportunity so I came down scored the civil cert you know on the civil service test by the time I got home I had a couple of I had the uh, Pentagon and NIH calling me for interviews Oh, wow. Ignore the Pentagon and call back NIH and they offer me like, <laughs> choice of a couple like, you know, kind of intro jobs. So I was working there and living in, in this household, which also included Artith and Corky. And oh, wow. Yeah. yeah that's that's together. And I, I remember hearing that when I was like, you know, I was a teenager that there was just like commune of model horse people. It's like, it's like, the, Algon- <laughs> it's like the Algonquin Brown. I, like, I want to go there, man. Yeah. Like, so so anyway, Dorothy Parker's Judy, vicious circle. Yeah. Judy and Paula had moved from Boulder back to Missouri where Judy's mom was. And they were trapped in this little hell hole where there was nothing oh. going on and, you know, no jobs. And I said to Paula, well, you know, you can come take this uh, civil service test. <laughs> come out with us. And so she and Judy flew out for a weekend and Paula also scored well and had NIH calling her by the time she got home. And uh, she got a job and about a month or two later, they both moved out. And then we were seven people in a townhouse. Wow. Wow. Which was kind of crowded. <laughs> and God knows how many model horses. <laughs> and uh, I cannot imagine. Yeah, that's crazy. So then Judy and Paula and I ended up getting an apartment about a mile away. That's so cool. Yeah. So, so, so then you guys, you know, you had your own place. You started collaborating. Yeah. Um, when did you, you started, did you start the Arabian pedigree club? No, I started one called Omaha back in the early eighties. And that was after um, Ava Marine Dermot kicked me out of the big Arab club Mara. That Mara was this big club in the seventies 
for the Arabians. And that's where like Nancy Stroger was in that club and all these people. And when I was like 15, I was like, I committed an unforgivable sin. I asked how come she could take out all these ads, like, like tooting how what national wins all of her horses had. And I still hadn't gotten my results from like, you know, a year ago. And her mother had judged the club, which I didn't bring up, but it seemed very convenient that she knew how much she won. And I never heard results of mine. Right. And I was oh, 15, wow. Okay? <laughs> and I got this letter from her saying that allowing you to remain in this club would be like, you know, allowing a wound to fester. Oh my God. <laughs> and then her best friend, Nancy Stroger stripped the horses I had commissioned from her and mailed them back to me. <gasps> oh my because, God. You know, Ava and Nancy were like, you know, best buddies and she would do anything Ava said. And that of course really upset me, but. Oh, I'm sure. Oh yeah. But didn't, you know, didn't, Nancy, I, turn, didn't Nancy turn out to be kind of shady? Well, she fleeced a lot of people and then she started using other pseudonyms like, yeah, like jason ross yeah. right okay so then i'll tell you another story in the about 86 i was invited to go judge a show in tucson arizona and you know i was I, they you know they're like we'll fly you out here if you'll judge the show and i'm like that's cool yeah, i can go to see arizona i've never been there and i had a great time actually i had been there but i went to phoenix but that was two, the first time i was in tucson but um i get out there and they're like you know we we had all these um, donations to our show for, for, you know, benefit auction. And Jason Ross pulled theirs when they heard you were coming. And I'm like, I don't even know who this Jason Ross person is because I didn't know about all these names, but you know, like Jason Ross and Sarah King. And what's really funny is I found a really old copy of the Mara newsletter and she had like everybody take out ads and they described their stable and everything back then. Cause we wrote a lot because there were no pictures and Jason Ross and Sarah King were some of her writer dolls' names. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's nice to know drama never. You know, yeah, I was going to say, Hobby's always, always had some really tough A drama, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they were odd. Oh, the, other, the other thing is, the time I was in Phoenix, I went to the Worldcon for the World Science Fiction Convention, and it was in 1978. And I went down to the lobby to the lobby and there was a little gift shop and I got a beautiful little pendant with a Pegasus that was painted by Nancy Stroger. And I'm like, wow, you know, there's truth they were selling in the gift shop. So I bought that. And I'm like, do you have any more? And they're like, no, we don't have any more. You know, we just hear from this artist every once in a while. And the next day I went by and there were a couple of new ones. And I'm like, you told me you didn't have any more. And they're like, oh, she came by and just dropped some more off. And at that point, I'd been trying to get in touch with her because, you know, I knew she was lived in that town. I'm like, could we meet up? And she's like, oh, I never go downtown. I can't get down there. So she, obviously she was avoiding. <laughs> oh, man. Very, wow. Very weird story. That's very weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah. So um, let's see. Let's talk. We've talked a lot about the 70s and the 80s. Let's talk uh, some about the 90s, because the uh-huh. 90s was when I really started going hardcore. Right. I came yeah. back in the hobby in 94 and you were still creating. And I was like, oh, my God. Morris, blah, blah. And then yeah. I actually got to be friends with you. And I was like, I'm so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, by at that time you were like, by the time I got back in the hobby in 94, I'd finished college and everything. And you were like firmly established as one of the, you know, one of, one of the premier artists. Um, what, what was the differences, you know, artist residents were pretty commonplace in the nineties, I think. Um, Carol Williams had come on the scene. What, what was your experience at the time in the, in, in kind of the go-go nineties? Uh, there, there wasn't a huge amount of residents back early, in the early nineties. You know, there was just a few artists. I think there were few well, that's true. That's just early on. There was. I was going to say, cause I, I started vet school in 93 and I want to say like 94, 95 ish is when like, it was becoming more common. Like I remember when the so, Carol Williams Rio Ronda Quarter Horse came out and being like, "What the that heck was, is this?" That yeah. was ninety two, yeah. right? Because yeah. I know the QH one came out exactly. before. Yeah, because um, Black Horse Ranch had done a few resins, like mm-hmm. Karen Woods. Now Karen Guilfoy had done that Arabian. That right. They, that was yeah. like before the Carol Williams um, Quarter Horse. Was it? Wasn't there? Paige Patty did that weird wax resin. Do you remember that kind of cantering stock horse? Because uh, I have I think, a copy of it. I think he was a little bit later. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. He might have been like 97 or 96. Oh, man. Was it that late? Yeah. Uh, Donna Cheney's stuff was beginning to come to the Empire. Right. You know. But it just, it just kept getting wider. Um, you know, one, one great thing is like people had much better access to good materials. Uh, Carol Williams was really good at like, you know, her, her book on like how to paint and, mm-hmm. you know, and Rio Rondo becoming a resource to buy materials and stuff because in the seventies, you know, you just use whatever you could. Some people use plaster, some used wood filler putty, you know, car bondo, you know, and, and, you know, once there were things like AIDS epoxy and, you know, um, what was the other, other the Martin Carbone, the Martin Carbone. Yeah. Yeah, Gapoxio. Yeah. You know, it was so much easier to work with those materials. So things really, you know, took off a lot more once people had better materials to work with. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. You go ahead, Jackie. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, because I kind of remember, I never really quit the hobby, but the ni- the nineties uh, was when I got really invested in it because you know I was in vet school at the time, so that was the perfect time to go ahead and get really into model horses um but that was also you know the rise of namsa and that kind of changed a lot of things you know kind of going down the road as far as boy did it it change a lot i think it made a lot of the competition more cutthroat because people are more focused on getting a card than whether or not they liked a horse you know yeah no i always tell people buy it if you'd like it and it's like but will it win it's like who can tell you know i mean i mean i've seen people you know, give championships to things you couldn't pay me to own. So it's, it's so, you know, personal, you know, there's no it's subjective. No, yeah. It's so Very subjective. subjective. There's no overall rules, you know, people, I think they need to have more confidence in their own taste. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. You know, I mean, sometimes people would ask me for advice and I'd try to give them like the best advice in terms of a critique in terms of like biomechanics and anatomy on stuff. Sure. You know, I I think, you know, you were one of the first people to influence um, me and a lot of other people's, you know, later people in the hobby about judging on ABC as opposed to breed type. And if it's pretty and, 
But to actually look at the horses, if we're going for realism, look at it from a more organic point of view. Yeah. Is the horse viable? Does the coat color come in that breed? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I think that was hugely influenced on that movement because that movement is huge now. That's what, you know, most shows base their, their judging criteria on as opposed to whatever you like, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> certainly tried to do a lot of research on anything we built, you know, try to get things as correct as we can. I remember one person writing me complaining because there were a couple little, little, in you know, scratches in the resin stallions cheekbones and i had to send her a picture of xerox out of an anatomy book showing her like what you know veins were there and muscles and you know it's like this is this is accurate <laughs> that's supposed that to be still there. happens yeah, that still still happens. Happens. yeah. Jen, scott, Jen scott got a bunch of guff for hamilton having butt wrinkles oh I, paula told me all about the butt wrinkles <laughs> yeah, she just pulled out her lafayette yesterday from the box <laughs> he's got butt wrinkles <laughs> you know and, I, and I'm like, I don't get it. Why do they not understand? Especially like saddlebreds, Arabians, they have thinner skin. They're very refined horses. You're going to see more wrinkles. <laughs> Plus they're doing that high action work where they're all just yeah. super, they're super taut and wound <laughs> up. I'm like, Stop. yeah, it's going to ripple. <laughs> the thing is, if you're seeing an actual horse moving, you don't catch that. It's, it just, it just kind of all goes in the flow. Right. You don't see that. That's why okay. Ed Moybridge took pictures. Yes. <laughs> That's why <laughs> but you know people are people are people i know people are people oh my gosh so i met you on the namsa board yeah so how did you end up because i feel like we ended up there at the same time or you were there just right before me or i don't know exactly what the timing was i came on in 2000 so how did you end up on the board i think i ran because i wanted to make sure other people who were less competent didn't get it <laughs> <laughs> and I really, really tried my best. And at that point, the regions were set up so bizarrely that the region I was in, I forget what the number was then, you know, went from like Maryland down to Florida. And I'm like, how can anybody possibly, you know, help out people in all this region? I actually drove to shows in Florida to try and be a decent rep, you know. Yeah, I had I had been <clears throat> to Delaware. <laughs> and and oh. one of the big project I did is I basically got lists of every entrant from every NAMSA show and plotted them all on a map to figure out what kind of areas people were traveling to and help them redraw the map. Yeah. To include, it really was more the people in a centralized in an area rather than just like right. random sections of the country. Yeah. And, the the current, current NAMSA re- regions are because of Liz Boris's well, work. Right. Well, I came on as region six, which was carved out of your region. Yeah. yeah. When I came onto the board, and I guess what, 2001 or two? Can't remember. Yeah, I think it was 2001. But it, it, it made so much more, more sense to have people really, you know, in a region where people were traveling within that region to those shows, uh, you know, rather than a couple of, of areas where they were kind of right. all spread out. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with more of Mirrors in Black. I bet you have been one of the many thousands who have checked out the Model Horse Gallery over the 25 years it's been in existence. Started by Janet Piercy, Galeberg has been curating the website and hosting it for decades. The website has thousands of galleries and tens of thousands of images. For its silver anniversary, the Model Horse Gallery is looking to upgrade its logo, and to do so is running a contest with options of one of a section of SRs or cool hard cash to the winning designer. 
So if you have some graphic or designing chops, check out the specifics at modelhorse.gallery/logo.html. That's modelhorse.gallery/logo.html. Deadline for submissions is April 15th. Good luck. The Mayors in Black would like to thank our newest patron, Deanne Chelsis. And as always, our herd nerds, Allison Piraeus, Andrea Brigadier, Ann Field, Ann Hudson, Bree Cundiff, Brianna Ashkar, Chris Walbrook, CJC, Cynthia Wyatt Briley, Danny Boyko, Danielle Feldman, Darlene Stoddard, Donna McKnight, Eclectic Equines, Elaine Boardway, Aaron Michelle, Gail Berg, Haley Walker, Heather Bullock, Heather Jackson Lane, Heather Wisner, Heather Zeiger, Jana Wright, Jenny Lambert, Jennifer Wilson, Julie Ward, Katie Niles, Kelly Weimer, Kenzie Williamson, Chrysalis Studios, Katie Murata, Laura Heidkamp, Mackenzie Ferguson, Madison Parkinson, Maeve King Devery, Mary Reardon, Megan Smith, Mel Boynes, Melissa Addison, Melissa Hart, Michael Price, Nikki H., Robbie Ramirez, Samantha Buckert, Sandra Gibson, Susan Boyer, Tammy Blankenship, Taylor Brookman, Teresa Bazell, Tracy Calamar, and Yashka Hallen. The mayors thank you. So, <laughs> without going down the NDA hole, we had the, <laughs> we had the troubles at NAMSA. <laughs> believe it or not, Jackie and I did not know each other. And, and we, I think you, Jackie, were on the board. I was on before you, because I was originally, my original region was five. And then it got broken into nine and 10. And I was the region 10 rep because I was living in. So, so I was, I was a buck new rep. And I think Liz and, uh, and Jackie had been on a year and I came in and I was like, Captain Chaos, I'm going to fix some stuff. Because there, there was stuff to be fixed. We just didn't realize it yet. Yeah, we right. know how, how deep the fix so, I mean, I think when I came on the first, the thing that was being discussed that I thought was, was flawed was individual memberships. And so, you know, Jack and I immediately started sparring over that. And so, so we always talk about, you know, contacting one of our fellow reps and being like, who is this person? That person was Liz. <laughs> Yes, we we both had a conversation with Liz. I think it might have been within the same forty-eight hour period about was. what a monster the other one was. Yeah, because I, I knew both of you individually from birth. <laughs> <shows. laughs> yeah, because we were all in the Pam Hutton plan together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, you know, it was kind of like, who is this biatch? And Liz was like, can can we not? <laughs> <laughs> you two should talk to each other. Yeah. No, I'm never doing that. but you know then we sort of realized that there was an issue that we both like raised eyebrows over and we joined forces like the wonder twins like pilates class (laughs) (laughs) oh my lord those were like i literally jackie and i talked about i literally feel like it was battle for good and evil it was like i yeah i literally (laughs) had a mo i I had more than one moment where i sat there and was like if we don't get the nan the 2003 nan canceled like the world's ending like i like (laughs) 
intellectually, I was like, that's really stupid. But in my heart, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> we have to do this. It's a mission from God. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and now we're all like, geez. <laughs> what the heck are they doing now? I'm not coming to see them. We didn't far. fix anything. <laughs> no. I'm glad they're not holding that. So, I mean, I'm glad they listened about the COVID thing, at least. Yeah. Some other show holders. Hey, I think the current president is is uh, is pretty pretty confident. Do you want to talk? I know you don't paint that much anymore, but do you want to talk about your technique? Uh, um, do you want to discuss like you know how you get your ideas and and what used to inspire you? What you used for references? Where you found your you know what material? You know, we talked about you using an airbrush, yeah, but I'm sure you used a lot of other stuff to detail. So yeah. Um, in terms of reference, I just I just save any picture of a horse that looks cool to me, and I'm, <laughs> I'm allergic to blank space, so I it's really really hard for me to do like a plain bay or chestnut. I mean, if, if you you know people saw me like I'm covered in tattoos, my my walls are like completely covered in art. You know, it's like I I I'd go insane if you put me in a blank room. So I, I tend to go for things that are extra fancy. I actually loved apples, love roans. Um, but I'm always saving things. I've got a big Pinterest board where I have horse, it's called horse color. There's like 3000 pictures there. <laughs> so, you know, I, whenever I get to a horse show, I, I bring my camera and take lots of photos. So I also have a lot of reference sh- shots that I've taken. Um, so I always, you know, keep the fancy ones on, on top. And, uh, in terms of, of technique, you know, I, I prime them with stuff like Plasticoat, which I think works really well to adhere it. And it's a thin, cause the rustoleum they they change their formula and it's too heavy i don't like it anymore mm-hmm. um and paints i usually use uh com art and golden airbrush paints and i'll do like uh if i'm doing a dapple growl i usually start with a dark undercoat because like grays have dark skin and then work up many many layers of of white and, and you know gray on top of it you know layers of dapples and, and you know overspray and maybe a little bit of pearl in there. Um, I do, I can get very, very fine detail with airbrush. I've used like an Iwata 150, HP 150, um, A and, and B. And also I've got a custom Micron B and I can, I can literally get down to like a little pencil line and I draw like little star dapples and I can draw like, you know, little, little facial details with them. So the majority of the paint is done with the, with the airbrush. And then I'll do maybe some of the hoof work with, you know, paint and pencil. And then the eyes will be done, you know, hand painted. Yeah. We, one of the things that's come up is that uh, airbrushing is not as common as it used to be. Uh, and, and a lot of people, you know, blame the, the tool for that. And, you know, I was like, you know, well, if you've ever seen, you know, Pam Hutton's paint jobs or, or Liz's, you know, dapples, you know, that, you can get the detail. You just have to know how. It's, yeah, it's, the, it, it, it's just a tool. It's a, it's a very steep learning curve to really control a good airbrush. And, you know, you also have to pay, pay the money to get a very good quality one. You, know, you can't really expect much out of a lower end airbrush. You just can't get the detail with it. And you can't get a fine line. And I think airbrushing got a bad rap because a lot of people just assumed it was easy. Yeah. And it's not any easier than any other technique. I like it because I think I can blend better than I can with a paintbrush. 
but it takes me as long to, to airbrush a horse as it probably would if I was hand painting it. Because, you know, I'm literally drawing every little dapple on there with the airbrush, like I'd be drawing every little dapple on with paintbrush. Sure. And doing a couple little, you know, layers of overspray and whatever. You know, it's 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 not a, I don't take shortcuts. Right. Some people, some people I think think they can do it very easily with an airbrush. When when I'm doing a, like a solid color horse, I kind of I actually go back to like my, my painting knowledge from painting classes and use like a chiaroscuro technique where I'll paint like a medium background for the base color. And then I'll go in with whites and yellows and tans and do a lot of highlights. And then I'll like use burnt umbers and stuff to do a lot of shadows and then bring in like transparent layers of the coat color. And it gets a, a much more depth. And if, you know, you're just doing this on top, the layers on top. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's awesome. We, you know, I've heard there was one lady, um, Lynn Castles, uh, Caldwell did. Uh, she's all, I think also classically trained for Namo Pamo decided she was going to paint her horse old master's style and only used the palette that would have been available to do a, a, a gray. And it was just, it, it was cool to see the way that she built up color and she did, she, uh, she just took a total in run around how you normally paint a model horse, which was really interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. Like what, one of the classes I had had in high school, I had this really great art teacher and she taught us how to work from like Renaissance kind of techniques and we ground our own pigments and oh, wow. you know, did like a, an egg tempera. And then we also did a gesso. Oh, and, wow. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I do come back to those knowledge also. Um, I go back to a lot of like the color formulas and the color wheel and, you know, way to combine things that have a lot more depth. Cause if you, if you add black to something, you kill it. It's, it's very flat. You know, you use complementary colors, you know, the, the, the painting classes actually do help me, you know, to put more, more depth into my pieces. Sure. If I didn't know this. Hmm. What are some of the favorite, your favorite pieces that you've created over your career? Oh God. Um, <laughs> one of the ones I could buy back if I had the money. Or yeah. 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 There's, there was a, an Arab mare that Judy and I worked on once called Mazakin and Judy re-sculpted her to be a, like a real, real extreme Egyptian Arab kind of like the Babushki trophy they do with the pyramid society. And I did her to a dark bay and I, I miss her. I mean, she's, she was just stunning. And, uh, I know there were a couple of fashiks I painted. There was a dappled gray one that was really beautiful. Uh, mm. I still have two fashiks. I have one Judy painted, and then I, I have a blank one for myself. So someday, if I get better, I'm going to paint him a really great dappled gray. Oh, nice. I, I hope I'll, I'll, I'll eat this cancer so I can, like, you know, get back to painting, or at least they'll give me, like, a long enough, you know, resting period. You know, because the chemo has taken so much out of me. I, have to, I mean, I, be, I either work or I go to sleep. <laughs> mm. I was going to say, so you 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 really can't handle painting at all right now. Is it just too much? Right now, it's too much. I have I have a lot of numbness in my hands from neuropathy. I uh, just started taking gabapentin for that to help. Um, you know, I don't have, I don't have a lot of feeling in my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, t- I'm prone to dropping things. <laughs> You know, but I, I, I hope I can get back to it. There's, there's some very, very patient people still waiting on horses that are, you know, partially done. And like, you know, there's one that's like 90% there. And I just really want to get well enough to finish it. And, you know, I want to get these out of there when I can. I know a lot of other people have just refunded their money and sent their horses back. 
what advice do you have for aspiring artists? Like, you, I mean, how how do you tell people to stick with it, get better, how to improve? What what's your advice for for people that want to paint model horses? You do you do have to have patience, and it really is you you learn by doing it, and you have you know, people say, how do you paint a great dabble gray? And I'm, I used to tell them, paint two hundred of them. The first hundred ninety nine will look like crap. <laughs> You know, it's like if I've been doing them for 40 years, they like, they better look good by now because otherwise I should hang it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there have been a few people who come into this hobby and are just like, you know, geniuses and are talented. And, you know, they pick it up immediately and they're perfect. But, you know, most of us, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, even those people we think are geniuses come from something else. Like we have, we remember Pam exploding yeah. onto the. I mean, she's a professional artist. She, she was a wildlife painter, and she did taxidermy and all that. So she had a she, she had worked with airbrushes for years before. Kind of Pam's equivalent or Sarah's equivalent now is Kylie Parks, who yeah uh, bust on the scene in 2015, and everybody was like, "Yeah, it's this chick." But you know, she'd been laboring. She'd been in art school and labored behind the scenes for years and years. So, can you um? I think your favorite, who's your favorite artist, Sarah? Sarah, yeah. Can you talk about uh, your thoughts on just on Sarah, Sarah's work and what it means to you? I first saw her work in the late 80s and there was this big buzz about her and, you know, coming out of shows in California. And when I saw pictures, I was just blown away. It's like I aspire to be, you know, 10th as good as her. And, uh, you know, she, she, like I said, along with Nancy Stroger and Pam Hutton, it has like some of the best you know, facial expression, and she just, she sculpts beautifully. I love the flow of remains and tails. I love her big hair ponies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only prior I conned is Croy Damshik, because I love big hair ponies. Yeah. Know, like, I've always loved her style. It's kind of very Art Nouveau sometimes, you know. Yeah, I love her style. Yeah. It's very romantic. Yeah, and, you know, she just seemed to immediately pick things up and, and do it right, and she's got such an eye and you know even, even if she, you, you, you know, read her describing stuff she's like picking up so much more information than other people are mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of mind-blowing although sometimes you know you, you want to read a chapter of hers and she goes on for 30 pages <laughs> but, <it's brilliant. laughs> but, you know I, I she I, is I, verbose though yes. that's for sure i collect her work and i i just absolutely adore her horses yeah uh, so final thoughts on how the ch- hobby has changed since you've been in it. Do you have like closing thoughts on your legacy in the, in the hobby? I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't, not sure if I have one or if I'm kind of forgotten or, or what. I mean, you know, I, I, the last few times I tried to sell things, I had a lot of trouble. I had to, anything I painted that wasn't dappled gray, I couldn't sell to save my life. So I had to paint it over and redo it. <laughs> oh, um, so I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'd ever go back to painting for other people. Maybe I just do a couple to, you know, amuse myself because I have a few resins I've, I've kind of hoarded for myself. I mean, I feel like I never see your customs on the market. I feel like people don't sell your stuff because they, they hang on to it. You know what I mean? Well, I know there's a couple people that, that try and grab as many of them as they can. So there's a few black hole collections out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, maybe they just see them first if they come up. Yeah. Like, I literally, I have not seen a Liz Boris custom in 
I, I can't even remember when. Like even some of your actually the, the more the recent last, stuff. The last one I remember was uh that it was a. Uh, oh, it was that that Arab mare that had the, the manchato pattern on it that showed up on eBay. Judy did that horse. Judy I did that it. horse. Okay. And I bought it because that's yeah. like my favorite Judy horse and it's never leaving here as long as I'm alive. <laughs> yes, I remember you <laughs> got it. I was like, yes, you got it. Okay. That yeah. Was- yeah, but that one's entirely Judy's work. And, th- and that was the, the thing about Judy too is Judy liked kind of to poke the judges. She tried to make that horse as perfect as Paul and Giggle. <laughs> and like, you know, all the problems on the, on the Pam and, and the collar is absolutely correct. This, this horse was like a beautiful horse that lived in you know, South Africa and Lady Wentworth tried to buy it, for, you know, and she was like I, a rabbit park breeder. And so, you know, obviously it was a horse of quality, but judges would either like say yes or no based on that paint job's too weird. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what, sure. what, you know, what information you had documenting it, but Judy liked to, to go for the extremes and tweak people. Judy, Judy was amazing. She yeah. was so quiet, but like behind that quiet was just oh, a great she mind. Was, she was a genius. I, I miss her every day. Every time I see something that, that Judy would have loved, I'm like, God, I wish she was here to see that. You know, like mm. I wish she could have seen like the TV show Fringe. She would have loved that so much, you know. And, yeah, I thought about some of, some of the, uh, I think about Judy every once in a while. I think about some of the the series that are out now that she would just be wild for, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like on Judy's birthday, Paula and I try to go do something that Judy would have wanted to do or go to oh, that's amazing. Or what she would have liked or, you know, well. <sighs> we're, we're all getting old, man. I know. I know it's, it's scary. It's scary. I mean, I see a lot of names. I, I people I know I've heard passed away. Yeah, and you know, we dedicated the last show to some of the people that have passed on in the last few years. And, you know, it it dawned on me that like more and more names that I know, not only because the hobby's bigger, but because we're all getting older. And, you know, we lost Marnie so early. Yeah. That it was just kind of a fluke. Do you know what I mean? But now it's, you know, now it's becoming serious health health issues. Yeah. Bad diabetes. Can I can I tell you a really funny story? Sure, please. Okay. Everybody, Mar- Marnie is a mystery to most of this hobby. So anything you have to say yeah. about Marnie, this is one of my favorite, favorite Marnie stories. Is you know she had one leg amputated because of her diabetes, so she had like a fake prosthetic leg, but it hurt. So sometimes you know she'd take it off, and she was out shopping in some place, and some idiot parked in the handicap spot who didn't have a placard and wasn't handicapped, and Marnie was really mad. She had to park the other end of the hobby. Of the, of the, not the, the uh, parking lot. So <laughs> she came and she sat on the hood of his car and she called the local paper and she took her leg off and started holding her leg. And the paper came, took a picture, wrote an article about people shouldn't be abusing this. And the guy came out to get his car and it was all like circus there. That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> That's karma. I would have to guts too. Like I wouldn't have the guts to sit on somebody's car with my leg. Oh, <laughs> had plenty of guts. She was great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she, she took me in like a little kid. Like when I was, you know, went out to the Model Horse Congress, she actually drove me over to her house and I got to see her collection. Oh my. You know, she had this bedroom that was like wall to wall, like shelves and shelves of briars. And she'd paint a lot of test colors 
factory. So she had all these ones in weird colors. The one I'll, I'll never forget was the uh, Proud Arab Stallion painted just like the Appaloosa performance horse. Yeah. That was like a test for that color. Yeah. You know. This was back, a lot of people don't know this, Briar at one point was in Indiana, correctly? Correct? In Chicago. Or Illinois. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. yeah and, she, and she advised them on a lot of stuff. And so she kind of kind of worked there part-time almost. But, you know, she, she'd also help herself to a lot of the rejects that they were throwing out. So she had, like, garbage bins in her garage full of bodies. And, like, she'd do trades with me where I'd, like, you know, do customs for her. And she'd just send me, like, boxes of these briars you know like that's how i got the lifetime supply of stable mates and <laughs> g1s too probably yeah, right I, I don't want the, the most of the later ones <laughs> <laughs> you know she she also had the discs um that hagen renneker had sent to briar to pick from the stable mates you know to do those oh my god and i i ended up Secondhand, getting the uh, sea biscuit from Vicky Naduski, who'd got it from Marnie, and now um, Leslie Kathman glazed them for me. So. I oh wonder. my gosh! Yeah, so he's like a vintage, you know, 1960s era uh, HR under there. Holy cow! So you're font of information. What was the story with the with the Briars, the Hagen Rennickers that became Briars, and the and the Pam and all that kind of stuff? What was the? Do you have the tea on what went wrong there? I don't really know what the tea was. Um, you know, I, I know that they they originally had done the Proud Arab Mare, and then they pulled it and did the Family Arab Mare, and then they got the rights to do the Proud Arab Mare. But I don't really know the details. But I know, like in the early '70s, they actually licensed like the the classic families, like the Arabs, mm-hmm. and right? Horses and you know, and the thoroughbred, classic thoroughbreds. But I don't really know the details. Those were my favorites. I had no idea who Hagen Renneker was. Yeah. I was I, most of my childhood was spent in Germany, and there was just no access to Hagen Renneker's over there. But I, my, but from the states, people would send me briars, right? And uh, the classics, the stable, all the Maureen love, love stuff was my absolute favorite. It was so delicate and beautiful and so when i got back home and realized that those were china's to begin with i was like what <laughs> <laughs> I, I i love the higgin renegar i mean I've, I've got a lot of them and i look at them all the time and it just it just amazes me that these were like little things that were like five dollars or so in gift shops at the time for like you know, yeah yeah ones. And, and at the time you know the royal worcesters were like two thousand dollars and the seabuses were a thousand dollars but the Hagen Renickers are just so exquisitely sculpted. They're actually nicer in so many ways. And you know, when, I was, when I was a kid, I remember being able to get some of the minis, like the um, the Morgan Stallion and the little Morgan Foal and the Prancing Arab Stallion and the Arab Foal. And unfortunately, my snake got loose and knocked them all off the shelf. Oh, no. <laughs> Damn snake. That's a good story, though. That's a good <laughs> And, you know, they were like, oh, is it though? <laughs> Like, you know, like, better than my cat broke them <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad i could do them now and i'm I, i'm really really glad christina you know lucas francis is doing Hagen renner for tennessee <laughs> because those oh. are amazing you know i know they're expensive but she is like not taking any any shortcuts she is doing the absolute most perfect job on every single one she can you know everyone i've gotten from her has had like incredibly crisp detail they're just they're just beautiful yeah yeah i mean we 
I do the annual for them now. And we're both members of the club. And when I got love, which was, I had to get it secondhand because I joined too late. Uh-huh. The facial detail on love is just, I can't even, you know, and the cru- the bread roan crusader oh, the, frosty. Yeah, love the, love just, frosty. They're, they're all just beautiful. I feel very honored to at least get in on the second wave of Hannah yeah. Hagen Renegars. You we know got, what I mean? We got real, real lucky and got and won the drawing to get one of the 20 vanguards. Oh, oh nice. Those are so beautiful. That one is just exquisite. Jealous. Mm. Oh. Love that little fold. It's like my favorite fold made, you know. Yeah. Really good one. Well, and that color on it is just beautiful. Yeah. But I'm I'm like so happy she's doing that. She I think she's really fulfilled doing it too. I think that's like the 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 lifelong dream, right? For her, because Maureen Love was her biggest influence. And Mm -hmm. and she has such incredible depth of respect for everything you know, doing everything right. You know, she, she does everything like, would Maureen be happy with this? Yeah. Right. And right. She's, I'm, I'm so. You know, I just love her process. She's so meticulous, right? Yeah. She's so, when you watch her videos in the studio, you can tell that she just takes extreme care at every single step. You know, the only, only bad thing is it means less of her own work, but we got lucky. I got a true. Science, and Paula just got a science cat, so we're happy. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have a science cat. I have a science cat. Yeah. Yay! I have two. I think. Wow. Yeah. Well, she's she's now going to be the owner for Havana Brown. Woo. Uh, I would love an, an one of her copies someday. Oh my god! That yeah. Is right. A gorgeous piece. I wish I had mm. one of those. But I'm real happy with the thylacine because I have this weird love of these odd animals. It's like. You know, one of my dreams is before I die that they'll find like, you know, a breeding population somewhere. I keep hearing rumors of, yeah, we yeah, see, there's, there's, yeah there's that they've been sighted like recently. Yeah. Like last week, somebody released yeah. pictures and like, maybe it's a tail of one. It looks like that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's the tail of a lemur, too. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's probably not. I, but I hope they do find it. Yeah. Like, where yeah. are they? Are they somewhere in the rainforest, just buried? Like, where do they? Where? Where's their natural habitat? Well, like New Zealand, there's like yeah. a really dense forest where there's no people there. You know, maybe they're on that island where the natives live. They'll kill you if you try and come. <laughs> oh, where the, the missionary went? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> where all the guys just show up with spears, like, don't try it. <laughs> oh, you tried it. Game Didn't over. Go well, <laughs> they get it. <laughs> all right enough jaw jacking do you have any closing thoughts liz i don't know i don't know um i i'm really glad they make better toys now than when i was a kid because i've actually bought like new briars in the last year because they're Aren't so gorgeous amazing yeah. I, I joined the premier club i cannot wait to get that appaloosa mustang um because it's just uh, fireheart yeah fireheart. oh Paul's going to make him a wonderful Indian costume. Yes, oh, he's he going to be amazing. Now you should talk to her someday about tack. <laughs> yeah, we should. I say actually, we are. We're going to do a tack series, and we'll definitely talk to Paula. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Paula, move and wave. <laughs> She's been sitting here listening to everything. Hello, you dropping. Move over your hand. This has been fun to listen to. I, I was I have bees dropping on it. <laughs> You're getting the sneak preview. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, sometimes I ask myself, would I get into the hobby now if I was a kid? And I don't know. I mean, my problem is I was always a very competitive person and the prices have just gone so through the roof on so oh. many things. Like yeah. when a friend of mine showed me like little topiary bushes to put next to her jumps and told me that she paid $800 for them, I kind of choked and thought, <laughs> no performance ever. <laughs> That's that's a little excessive for topiary bushes. I was gonna say even, that might even be, on our I mean, watch. I mean, that, like, might, that might be a lot, like a set of topiary bushes from uh, tabletop. Mm, I yeah, I mean, yeah. they were they were beautiful. Yeah, because yeah, their their greenery is really beautiful and mm, you yeah. know. But I mean, yeah, I, but that's usually a whole set, right? Yeah. What but I they do like the, their dressage letters are like one hundred twenty five bucks. Uh, yeah. You know, but also I see, you know, painted resins going in over three to six thousand dollars. And I yeah, don't need to yeah. know. And I'm like, I could never do anything like that, you know. Sure you could. I couldn't afford that. No, you but you well, could, actually, actually you came as a kid now, you'd still like, be an artist. If I am gonna buy something like that, I'm gonna get a bronze. My my most expensive horse is is a is a Buguki bronze. Okay. Yeah. You know, to me, that that's always going to hold its value. It's like I've seen so many customs fall apart and disintegrate over time that I would never spend that kind of money on like a remade briar, you know? Yeah. The one thing I paid through the nose for was an Orinoco. Yeah. I finally oh, got yeah. me a resin Orinoco. Well, I was, I was happy to get it for what I did, you know? I dollars for one, but I had to wait 14 years. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> so, I mean, I know you're not actively painting now, but if you want to plug your studio, you know, uh, here's the times, and we'll close out the interview. If, if anybody wants to go, I I, I, did, I do have the uh, URL of amarnaproductions.com, and that's A M A R N A, not Armana, which everybody always misspells, like the, or the the man, I like the radar, <laughs> like the radar range. <laughs> I see that misspelled so many times, <laughs> but I've, I've got a Facebook for both myself, which never has horses on it. And then the horses are on the Amarna Productions Facebook page. She, she also has her collection pictures, which are oh, amazing. Yeah, which, yeah. Definitely worth taking a look. I need, I need to update that too. I, I've been lucky. I bought a couple of Sarah horses that nobody knew what they, can you believe I thought Sarah horses? Nobody knew who painted them. Oh, wow. I recognize them. You know, yes, I'll pay $300 for that dozen roasts. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> really? Wow. Oh, so, you know, while some people are paying $6,000 for top 10 resins, I'm getting ones I think are just as nice. For Oh, yeah. Oh, oh dozen roses by Sarah. Hell yeah. yeah just say, I three of them now. Nice. There's a, <clears throat> I still don't know where Pam's dozen roses is. I know Michelle Akers sold it. But I don't have any idea who has it. Roses never fade. Didn't yeah, Diana Patterson never. have it or Nancy Ellis? I know Nancy oh. Ellis died about a year ago. Is she? Yeah. Hmm. She <laughs> sold me. Well, she sold me love. Uh huh. Um, and uh, Diana sold me faith. I don't know who has roses never fade. I think Diana has divested of all of her Huttons. Okay, huh. but I'm not sure. I'd say she'd be the person to ask. There's a couple I don't know where are that I'm really curious about. Roses never fade. I don't know who has. Um, you have. I have Ar um, Armand. He's back. I've got right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know where. I don't know where Narcissus is. I don't. You know. I know one of her pieces got repainted. 
Oh God. I know that um yeah. the one she did for Carol Christian, the Muliasse uh mm-hmm. kind of fell apart. Ooh. Yeah. But yeah, I'm always on the lookout for those. I, I try and keep a little museum of them. Yeah, I saw I saw the Wixom that was like being auctioned. I thought about trying to buy that. That was the one that she did for Carol Christian. Yeah. And it ended it ended up going for more than I was willing to pay for it because it's in bad shape. Under four hundred dollars. Yeah, it was like three fifty, but it was like if you look at it, the paint is all crackled and everything. I, I probably could match the paint. I know I know when I fix Armand, I'll be able to match the paint. Yeah. Because I have the exact same colors she used. Mm-hmm. She's Joe Sonia, right? Um, I think she used a lot of com art. Huh. That, that, that matches it. I know the transparent smoke was perfect for Armand. Yeah. God, he was cool. He is cool. I still love him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you got him back. Yeah. I am too. There's a lot of horses I've been like slowly trying to get back that were old favorites. Like right. when I got back was a little bolero resin that Leslie Kathman did to a silver dapple Shetland. Aww. Oh, I bet he's cute. Yeah. It's old years ago. And sometimes they pop up and I'm like nine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'll see. Mike, who's one of Judy's favorites, the chestnut Sabino uh, Tenorio. Oh, Spike. Yeah. Oh, Spike. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Spike in a show a few years ago. I don't I remember bought, who owned him. I, I bought him like about three or four years ago. He yeah. popped up the model horse sales page for like three. Yeah, years. Remember now, two or three God. years ago, it was actually five or six. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we think about it. I know. Uh, if it was Butterflies and Bell Boots show, it was with Paula. Paula took it there. Oh, I think I see. Yeah, I think I saw pictures from yeah. that then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but he's, All right, Liz, well, we appreciate you joining us. I know this is probably incredibly tiring for you to yap your face off with us for an hour or so. I'm, I'm just glad to see you guys. It's been way too long. Glad to it see has you. been too long. Well, thank you for joining us. This was a great interview. Yeah. It's great to hear about stuff before we were even in the hobby. It's, it's it, you know, like I never met Marnie. I never met um, a lot of the really Carol, you know, Carol Howard, some of the people that were formative before before yeah, uh howard was at the show i was judging in uh, tucson arizona i met her there hmm. <laughs> linda walter i met at the model linda walter right yeah. i mean that's do you I, one more question do yeah. you consider yourself first gen or second gen hobbyist i'd say second gen because the first gen I, I think were the people like in the 60s you know that were really starting it up like um you know marnie and uh what do you think name of the woman california oh god i'm blanking there was a big Hager Medicare collector out in California that did showing. There was, you know, there were a couple of magazine articles with her. Um, and Simone Simeljank, she's mm-hmm. on Facebook. Oh, yeah. She's still around. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I, I came reacquainted with her because she's uh, married to the brother of the lady who paints all the catwalks I collect. <laughs> at <a> cat show. <laughs> and when she mentioned her name, I'm like, that's an unusual name. Can you ask her if she ever knew somebody named Marnie Willarius? And of course it was the same one. Wow. Or, yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate your time um, and keep in touch with us and let us know what's going on. And uh, I'm sure everybody's going to be fascinated by this interview. So, okay. so thank you Very so much. Yes. Thank you board. so much. No, you're It was great. Yeah. Super fascinating. Okay. Have fun. Right. Thanks. Thanks.
That was super great. We were really excited to get this interview and it did not disappoint. We want to thank um, Liz Boris for joining us and Paula by proxy. <laughs> Paula we'll, get you, we'll get you again. We'll get you later, Paula. We'll O'Keefe. get you on your own, Paula. O'Keefe. You wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to pretty lengthy interview. So we're going to close the show. Um, so as always, you can come join us on our Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash mares in black. Or if you search for model horse podcast, we will come up, uh, but come join us, hang out on our discord with us. Um, we do monthly parties on zoom. They are a lot of fun. It's mostly people coming and working on stuff together and it's super cool. Right, Heather? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can do that. Uh, we also launched our TikTok this week. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Uh, it has uh, one video, but a lot of people watched it and liked it. And so you can come and get a sneak peek of uh, my Briar horse collection. Um, my plan is to do this, like, do videos on TikTok like once a month, once a week until right. it gets some traction. Then maybe we'll do some more. But yeah, it's fun, fun, fun. Come join us. Woohoo. Um, um, you can all go ahead. Also. I'm sorry. I got I got stuff to do now. Um, you can also on Instagram send us your nag brags for yes. Wednesday. So this is like anything you you know you're proud of. You want to tell the world about. Um, be it a horse that won a championship or a horse that you know you love from your childhood or a custom that you've perfected a technique on. It doesn't matter what you want to brag about. Send us an email at info at mares in black, title it nag brag and send it our way with a picture of your horse and we will put them on Instagram. Woo. Uh, We also have feature Friday for Instagram. So if you uh, are an artist or know an artist that you want to shout out, also send us an email to feature Friday at info and mares of black.com. Uh, direct us to the Instagram or send us some pictures we can share in a series of the artist's work. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. And I think that's it. I think that is it, baby. Uh, So thank you all for joining us. We hope you really, really hope you enjoyed this issue. Uh, Issue. Episode. Ah! I took a nap before we recorded it. I am not all here. You can ask Jackie. You can can hardly tell. (laughs) (laughs) but we will uh we'll catch you all next episode with uh our regular um podcast and uh stay tuned uh as we are going to launch the artist uh spotlight series soon bye everybody bye bye thanks to gail berg and the model horse gallery for sponsoring this episode of mares in black Congrats on 25 years of serving the hobby. Visit them at modelhorse.gallery.com. And don't forget to check out the logo contest at modelhorse.gallery slash logo.html. The Mares in Black Podcast, created and hosted by Heather Malone and Jackie Rossi. Written by Heather Malone. Produced by Heather Malone, Jackie Rossi, and Joshua Wessner. Edited by Joshua Wessner. Engineered at Two Ton Studios. Fulfillment Enforcer, Jackie Rossi.